Blog Talk Radio. Join us for the Wellness Journey Live with Linus Woods Mullins. Our program will show you the fun and simplicity of wellness for women over 40 and all the people who love them. You can achieve total wellness through holistic practices, nutrition, fitness, and spiritual renewal. Join us weekly as we talk to the experts in the field of total wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. Here's Linus. This is Linus Woods Mullins with Praise Works Health and Wellness and Wellness Woman 40 and Beyond E Magazine. I'm back. <laughs> I've been on hiatus from Blog Talk and iTunes Radio, but I am back and I am so excited to be here today. I cannot tell you the things that have happened over the last couple of months, but here's one of the really good things for those of you who are looking. Uh, on your iPhone or your iPad or you're sitting at your desktop, you'll see that it says Wellness Woman 40 EMAG presents because they're the ones who are sponsoring the show right now. And that's my magazine. It's coming out in just a few days, hot off the press, as they say. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the magazine, click on that link, and it will take you directly to the subscription. It's totally free. I'm very excited about this issue because it's talking about something we all could use a little bit more of, and that's more self-love, loving your mind, body, spirit connection. On the cover is my good friend, Dr. Rowe, the nation's number one nutrition expert. She's a celebrity nutrition expert, and she's going to be sharing some tips on what she thinks it takes to uh, love yourself well, so to speak. So for those of you who have been looking for the motivation to take better care of yourself, this is the issue. You've got to get it. I'm very proud of this first issue. It's been out, you know, hasn't come out yet, and it's been a little while since I've put out an issue. I have been living life. Um, in 2015, I didn't have not one but two grandchildren in 2015. I have now a one-year-old little boy and an almost three-month little girl. And, of course, I have my other 10-year-old grandson. So life has been busy. Uh, I've uh, partially relocated part-time to another city in the United States. So I'm living between California and Texas. Yes, I haven't gotten my cowboy hat yet, okay? So, you know, I don't know. I haven't got my cowboy boots either. I don't know, but when I get those things, I will let you know. I'm slowly getting into the cowboy group. In fact, last night we went to a, a club, and they were uh, playing, you know, a combination of good dancing music and slowly kind of what creeped in there, a little bit of cowboy, Ipiakayo, Kaye stuff, and everybody was bopping their head, and I found myself bopping my head. So I'm, I'm getting into it. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting back into the – the text to the southern thing, but it's beautiful down here. I've enjoyed it, but I have really missed talking to my blog talk and iTunes uh, family. How y'all doing? Oh, there it goes, y'all. How y'all doing? <laughs> well, let me tell you, we have a fantastic show. First of all, I had continued recording on the Self Discovery Network, and I am on their brand new shows every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and you will also be getting brand new shows every Saturday early in the morning, but you can listen to them at any time in our archives. But I have this fantastic show. I'm going to be sharing with you the best of the shows from the Self-Discovery Network, and this show is fantastic. I interviewed Iris Ruth Pastor. Now, if you don't know who she is, she's one of the top 25 bloggers on Huffington Post. 
But we weren't really talking about her blog. What we were talking about was her 46-year secret. For 46 years, Iris was a bulimic, and she shares with us that story. And this is really straight off the press. We just recorded the show a couple of weeks ago. Her book hasn't even come out. And right now she's doing a nine-week series on this journey that she was on, on her own personal wellness journey. So I've got the interview right here. Let's get right to it. It's Iris Ruth Pastor, and she's talking about how she has shed the secret of her being bulimic for 46 years. You've got to listen to this interview. It's really good. It's inspirational. And after the interview, I'll be right back with a couple of announcements. Here we go. Hello, this is Glennis with PraiseWorks and Wellness Woman 40 and Beyond e-magazine. Welcome to another part of our podcast series, The Wellness Journey, on the Self-Discovery Radio Network. I am so glad to have you with us today and excited about our topic because I found out that it's kind of an unusual topic, and I'll share that with you in just a moment. But first of all, let me remind you, if you haven't subscribed already, please go to my website at craigeworks.biz, or you can uh, subscribe right here on the show page uh, for the next issue of Wellness Woman 40 and Beyond e-magazine. It comes out in early February, and no matter when you might be listening to this broadcast, you can always subscribe from our show page or go directly to my site and subscribe to this magazine. As I said before, this magazine is fantastic. It is a mind, body, spirit magazine for women 40 and over, and I like to say all the people who love them because the information there is timely and in many cases things that you might want to share with people who happen not to be women over 40, <laughs> with your, uh, your, your children, your husband. Uh, there's some great wisdom in there. And this month we're going to be talking about all things around loving yourself and loving the mind-body-spirit connection. So make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the magazine. And if you're not already, you need to be following this program so that whenever we have a new show, you'll get notified so you won't miss uh, some of the great uh, programming we have coming up for you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, cooking for diabetics, we're going to be talking about some rare-known chronic diseases diseases that midlifers suffer from. And we're also going to be uh, sharing some information about relationships after 50, uh, rough relationships, sex after 50. So some great topics coming up over the next few weeks. Just subscribe or follow the show, and you'll get notifications of all the shows that are going to be coming. I'm really excited. And if you're not following me on Twitter, make sure you do. At PraiseWorks is my handle. And also my Facebook, all the links are there on the show page. I'd love to get to know you better. And many times I get a chance to actually talk with you face-to-face on Twitter, or as I like to say, tweet-to-tweet on Twitter. If you tweet me, I'll tweet back. So uh, go ahead and get involved with me on social media. That way we can stay connected and I can find out about the kinds of things you'd like to uh, talk about or listen to on our show. Speaking of that, I have to tell you how I found my guest. You know, I'm always talking about intuition and the Holy Spirit and that inner voice that tells you to do things. And I really am planning on 2016. My word for 2016 is guidance. My subword is intuition. Um, so. Through guidance and intuition, I found our guest. I was on uh, Twitter, uh, on I guess it was right before New Year's, and just looking for 
uh, topics that I thought maybe you would be interested in. And I like talking about midlife a lot now because a lot of you are moving into that section. I know I'm way over midlife. I'm 58 years old, so I'm way over midlife. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I care about those topics. I'm looking around, and I found a woman that I thought would be of interest, and she referred me to our guest. And this morning we got a chance to chat, and I'm telling you, Iris Ruth Pastor has a fantastic message that she's going to be sharing with you today and a topic that, gosh, I didn't even know it was an issue because we don't talk about it. We talk about it a lot when it comes to maybe the under 30 crowd. Perhaps you even talk with your children about it or perhaps you have a friend who has a child who went through something like this. But the reality is this topic is something we need to be talking about. We just need to pick the blindfolds off and begin to start talking about those things that we might whisper about. Today we're going to be talking about a midlife uh, experience when it comes to an eating disorder, bulimia. And Iris is going to be sharing with us her experience with bulimia. For 46 years, uh, she has suffered from uh, bulimia. She's overcome it. She's getting ready to write a book about it. She's also going to be doing a nine-week series in Huffington Post. I'm so glad to have her with us. She is one of the top bloggers from Huffington Post, and I'm just really excited to have her with us on the wellness journey. Iris, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for joining us on the wellness journey. It's great to have you. And as is tradition at the wellness journey, I always ask my guests to introduce themselves. I figure you're the experts on on you. So tell us a little bit about you and uh, how you came to write for the Huffington Post and also a little bit about, you know, why midlife is such a passion for, uh, for you. Well, first of all, Linus, thank you so much for having me. And as you said, I was bulimic, and that is probably an understatement because I was bulimic for almost 46 years. I consider myself very lucky that my health was not impaired by this craziness, and it it wasn't. I mean, I did suffer a few things, but I'm alive, I'm very healthy, and I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. I was always someone, and I think people can relate to this, I was always someone that needed to do things perfectly. It wasn't enough that it was good enough. It had to be perfect. And that sets you up for a lot of frustration and ultimately for failure. So here I am. I'm a mother of five. I'm a grandmother of five. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a coworker. I'm a neighbor. And I'm, I'm really there for everyone but I'm not there for myself, and I'm really beginning to feel like a fraud because the inside of me isn't matching the outside of me. So the outside is somebody who is in control and who is coping, and in the inside I have all these raging emotions, and the way that I was controlling these emotions was by binging and purging. So that's how I... I got and and stayed bulimic for so many years because it it did serve a purpose. It kept my emotions in check and kept me coping, but it kept me stuck at the same time. So fast forward many years, I Mm -hmm. never shared the secret with my husband and Mm -hmm. I never shared it with friends. Very, very few people knew about it. And Four years ago, I finally realized that if I didn't do something about it, 
I was going to be doing irreparable harm to my body and my soul. And that's when I went for help. So the book and the series is about my journey back to not only healthy eating, but a healthy lifestyle and a lot greater degree of happiness and peace. That's my bulimia side of it. The Huffington mm-hmm. Post side of it is a, is, is a very um, uplifting one. I had written a slice of life column beginning when my son, who is now 32, was about three years old. I owned the parenting magazine. This is way before the Internet, way before blogging. And I started writing a column on my life. And it was a column that was very much like Irma Bombeck. I don't know if you remember. Mm, oh, I love, yes, I love Irma, Irma Bombeck. She has actually never really been replaced. I, I just love listening to her. Wonder. She, she had so many terrific insights, and she wrote from the trenches. So mm. I, I followed her model, and whatever I was interested in, I wrote about. And I wrote every week for many, many years. And then I became editor of a small newspaper, and I stopped writing for a secular newspaper and started writing for a Jewish newspaper and being the editor of that, which I still am writing for today. So mm-hmm. I had a very large backlog of columns. I had a lot of experience with writing and observing and respecting deadlines. So one day, and this was this was after my recovery, so I was in this mode of, you know, I can do anything. I mean, I am powerful. I am strong. I am ready to roar. So mm-hmm. I researched how you become a Huffington Post blogger, and it took me about three days to get everything together. You know, it said send a link to your work if you're being published, give a picture, give a bio. I studied it like I was going to take an exam on how to become a Huffington Post blogger. I sent in this stuff 9 o'clock on a Friday morning, and at 4 o'clock that afternoon they accepted me. I have wow. never had anything go so easily in my life. I mean, think, when you're a writer, you face so much rejection. You face so much criticism. Somebody's always commenting. Um, if it's not a grammatical mistake, it's a factual mistake or I don't like your opinion. So the fact that this went so smoothly was delightful. So I started writing, and I don't know if people realize this about the Huffington Post, but you can utilize past articles that have already been published. As long as it's your work, they don't care Mm -hmm. if it's been published elsewhere. So that opened up a tremendous source of material for me. And I think when when you talk about becoming one of the best or most read bloggers for 2015, I I think it it happened because I had been really blogging for 35 years, and this wasn't something new to me. But but I think the, the draw was that I was hitting nerves that hadn't been hit before, and some of my most... And one of my most popular columns was how to stay relevant. No, it was the exhausting saga of trying to stay relevant in your adult children's lives. Now, <laughs> your 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 audience may not have reached that yet, but they oh, may. they have. Okay, they definitely okay. have. Yep, they definitely have. Um, in fact, I myself, I have four daughters, ages twenty four. 
27, 28, and 31. So I oh, get that. Nice. I have to read that. I have to read so that. you well. understand it. So that, yeah. that, well, and I have boys, and boys completely tune you out. It's like, mm. whatever, you know, Mom, I talked <laughs> to you last week. What could you possibly have to say to me this week? You know, you don't get a lot of the dailiness. So, that, so I think the popularity comes from, first of all, writing from the heart and not, not figuring out what the audience wants, but writing what's important to you and let that be kind of your intuitive guide. You know, it's interesting because I've been reading Huffington Post for, for a long time, and I blog also, and I've always thought about, you know, um, uh, getting in touch with Huffington Post. I just haven't um, done it. But now you've given me the motivation uh, to give the try. It's interesting, the things that happen to us as we age. As we age, quite frankly, we get to know ourselves better in terms of what it is that we want to do, what it is that uh, we want to change, um, the kinds of things we want to do when we grow up. I always use that expression, when we grow up, but basically after we um, finish raising our children and get a chance to really take a look at ourselves and dig deep to decide, okay, what next in our lives. And I guess my question is, do you think that as you were moving through this whole thing with bulimia, uh, that one of the things that gave you an aha moment was just your own natural self um, um, kind of like taking a self-examination um, of things that you need to change in your life as you um, grew older. What was your aha moment? What made you decide that it was time to make a change? Linus, that's a very easy question to answer, and I will set the scene for you. It was Valentine's Day four years ago. It will be four years this Valentine's Day, so it was 2012, and I was disappointed that Valentine's Day didn't live up to the Hallmark card template. And Mm -hmm. I was downstairs. My husband was upstairs sleeping. I was Mm -hmm. downstairs alone in the house. And I had just, you know, my nightly ritual, I just ate a lot of ice cream and a lot of junk. And I went into the bathroom to purge. And after I purged, I looked at myself in the mirror, and I was so appalled at what I saw. I saw somebody with a red face and bulging eyes, and I, I just looked like a deranged person. And I said to myself, is this the legacy you want to leave your grandchildren? Of a crazy person, you know, dead on the floor, surrounded by vomit. I mean, that was, that was really the thought that went through my mind. And at that moment, I said to myself, this is my new rule. This is going to be my new normal. My new normal is I can binge all I want, but I will not ever purge again. And mm. I've never I've never veered off course with that. I just knew I had to stop or I was going to end up, it was that in, intuition again that I was going to end up killing myself. Right. You know, it's interesting because I think as we age, we all, as I said, get these aha moments. But many times when we get the aha moments, then there's a decision as to whether or not we're going to follow what it is that that intuition or that inner voice has revealed to you that you needed to do. What do you think it was that kept you on the so-called straight and narrow that made you have that definitive time where you said, okay, this is it? Because that's a long time to have an eating disorder and then all of a sudden just cut it off. I I agree with you. And if if someone had asked, if if it hadn't happened to me, I would be very skeptical. And I gave that 
question a lot of thought, and I, I think I can answer it for you. And, and I want to preface this by saying I'm not a professional. I'm a writer who was bulimic for many, many years. So I'm not, I'm not espousing a philosophy or giving advice. I am not a professional. But this is, this, is the, this is the point that I came to in understanding my behavior. And what it was is that when I started binging and purging, I was a sophomore in college. I was a transfer student. I was away from home for the first time. I missed my parents. I had just broken up with my boyfriend. I mean, blah, 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 blah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what kind of career I wanted. I was floundering, and what I noticed was that when I was thin, I got a lot of attention. And when I wasn't thin, I kind of faded into the woodwork, and that was not something that I tolerated well. So the reasons that I started binging and purging and the, the reasons that I continued to binge and purge changed over the years. <clears throat> and mm. what happened was, and you're and you're right when you say this, because we do mature and we do get, we gain strength and we gain power and we gain insight. So I think a lot of the reason that the binging and purging continued is that it was habitual. It was just something that I did at the end of the day, like somebody would say, I'll have a glass of wine or mm-hmm. I'll read a good book or I'll go for mm-hmm. a run. That's what it had become to me. It had not started out that way, and there were a ton of, you know, psychological reasons why I became bulimic and stayed bulimic, but I think I had outgrown the behavior and that my coping mechanisms were much better than they had been when I was young. So I was able to do that because that is not something that happens traditionally with bulimia, but yet, yet, what's significant is I've talked to a couple of women who are my age who were long-time bulimics, and they had a very similar experience to me where they had just outgrown the behavior and the Mm. awareness of what they were doing. they, They couldn't shut that out anymore because they understood the consequences. And when I read about young women who are in inpatient and, and they're they're such deep psychosis and they're and there's and there's so much going on. That really wasn't quite me. I I mean mm. I was a highly functioning mm-hmm. addict mm-hmm. <laughs> with a bad secret. But but I think that was the reason I was able to overcome it. It's like it had outgrown its usefulness to me. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that we probably all have behaviors that we kind of hide, that we know aren't that healthy, that, um, you know, no one necessarily knows but us, the little things. Like, for instance, one of mine that I've had since probably I was a, a child is cuticle biting. I bite my cuticles, sometimes to the point mm-hmm. where they're bleeding. And and, right. and now, at the, you know, I do it at different stages. I don't do it continually, but right now I've relocated um, from California to Dallas, and uh, you know that's been nerve wracking, and I find myself biting my cuticles. Are you know, <laughs> exactly. My cuticles are bleeding. Uh, you know, because I'm reverting back to that self comforting behavior when I'm totally stressed. But the but the question is, uh, that's something I've had since I was a child. But do you think that this could be a phenomena 
uh, that we're just not talking about at all that might be going on with other women who are well over that, you know, that um, age group that we normally affiliate with uh, eating disorders? You know, that's that's a that's really a tough question to answer, and I, I'm so gun-shy about in any way professing opinions about bulimia and mm-hmm. just sticking to my experience because I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a professional and I don't have the credentials to back it up. However, I will tell you that one of the things I started doing when I came to terms with the bulimia and was going through treatment is telling people. Now, that's a oh. whole other subject that we can talk about in a minute, but what I wanted to say on that subject, on that topic, is that when I started telling people, people started telling me about their demons. And it was very interesting because one of my friends said to me, first of all, nobody had any idea, so everybody was shocked. Uh, oh, you're so together. It was like, duh, I'm together because I have this secret vice that is, you know, continuing to help me cope. That's why I'm so together. I don't know if I'd be so together if I didn't have it. But mm. one of my friends said to me, oh, I'm not bulimic. But when I go out to dinner with my husband, I come home and throw up because I've eaten too much. Well, you tell me, okay? That was total denial. The other one said to me, I don't don't binge and purge, but I cut D-U-T. I cut. And these are women who are affluent, well put together, intelligent, educated, I mean, you can be out to lunch with them and you would think these women have great lives. <laughs> they're not beset by demons. And yet they're doing things that are not good for themselves, that they're not, that they're not able to control. So there's a lot out there. It's just not about bulimia. It's about any demon that you have or any destructive behavior that you have that you know in your heart isn't really good for you. It's you know, that's what I'm directing this series to and and the book. And it's basically the series is about bulimia, but you can apply it to you know, to many facets of behavior. And I'm glad you mentioned that about I think it's so important that when you want to make a change, it is important to tell others what it is that you're doing because many times they can be your best support system and they can hold you accountable when they see behaviors that have you falling back into the behavior that you're trying to change. Uh, You mentioned that you told your husband. How did you go about telling him and what was his reaction? Well, my husband does not use food in any way except fuel for his body. So he really, he had, he just thought it was the craziest, most bizarre thing he had ever heard of. So, but what I did with him, and I, I've never regretted this, but I would not recommend this, is I, because I never thought I could beat it. I never thought I could beat it. It was by my side for so many years. I would not share my battle with him. And when I told him, I the, the agreement that that we kind of, well, that I foisted on him, that I forced on him was that you need to let me work this out for myself. Because I didn't think I could ever beat it. I was so afraid that it would corrupt our relationship if I failed continuously Mm -hmm. to stop it, that I couldn't let it bleed into that situation. So I kept him very much at arm's length with it. 
And, you know, everybody's different. You know, if, if that were me, and um, like, for instance, the nail biting thing, and, and I would, uh, you know, my husband already knows that I do it. Everybody knows that I do it. But I would to look for that accountability partner, uh, that person to encourage me or to help me to that journey. I probably would not choose my husband either. <laughs> well, that's what he would know. Because I thought you were going to say, oh, no. I would choose oh, no. my husband. No, but his, 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 now, it's not, it wasn't safe to me because mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, I felt like I had so much at risk and I love this man mm-hmm. so much. Right. I, I mm-hmm. couldn't put my relationship with him on the line. I mean, that's just the way I felt. Now, a psychologist would probably sit down and say, but, you know, that was the person to go to, that, you know, blah, 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 blah. That didn't work for me. That did not work for me. And I'm an advocate of everything should be what works for you, not for me. For what works for me is going to be different than what works for you. But I do, I do want to tell you something interesting. You know, you asked me about an aha moment. Mm-hmm. It was an aha moment, but it was a very mundane moment in the same time because there was no band playing, there were no cheer, there was no cheering. All I did is look in the mirror and was appalled and flush the toilet, turn off the light, close the door, and go back into the family room. There really, it was, it, from a behavior point of view, it was pretty, it was, you know, pretty low key. And it reminded me of Cheryl Strayed's book that she wrote about walking the Pacific Northwest Trail. I think that's what it was called. And mm-hmm. she she started out, because I was very attuned to this, she started out in the same way that I started out, not in a momentous, memorable way. She just put on her backpack, hitched a ride from the motel with, with a guy and his son in a truck. They dropped her off at the trail at the beginning, and she just put one foot in front of the other and started. And that, to me, that, to me, was profound because there were no bands. And there were no cheerleaders. It was just her taking that first teeny tiny step. You know, sometimes the most profound things that happen to to us in our lives don't come with a lot of fanfare or hoopla or people don't even know how that moment in time might have impacted you. So I, I really do get that. And if there's nothing else that I want people to get from listening to you and your experiences, it's the idea of self-introspection and what can come as a result of doing that. I feel that we spend so much time going from here to there that we never allow ourselves to stop and be present like you did. Because when you talk about looking in the mirror, that was a moment in time when you really stopped yourself and you were present. I, I don't know about you, but prior to that moment uh, that you might that might have happened to you, um, I'm the kind of person, I look in the mirror, but I don't really look in the mirror. I look in the mirror to put my makeup on and stuff like that and make sure I don't have snot coming up my nose, whatever. But I don't really like look. And one of the things that um, I have worked with some of my clients about is that process, that experience of really looking in the mirror. And what happens sometimes for that first time uh, when uh, when people, uh, women especially, really allow themselves to look in the mirror, it does bring them to tears because they see the sum total of who they are. And not just that, but there are remembrance that's coming into play in terms of what brought them to the place where they um, were no longer looking in the mirror and what those things were that happened to them that caused them not to want to really see who they are. But one of the wonders 
And one of the great things about moving into midlife is that need for self-introspection and really beginning to look in the mirror and really see what's there. And I, I just think that's so wonderful that you, first of all, have the courage to do that, and now that you have the courage to share with other people and women in particular your journey. I just think that's wonderful. Well, it's it's scary because I had to tell my mother, which I did not really want to do. My mother is almost 89, mm-hmm. and she she maybe knew, but she didn't really knew, know. So that that's going to be in her face now. And I'm a little, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a, I'm a w- little bit worried about that because I don't mm-hmm. want her to be embarrassed or ashamed or to have her friends think less of her or of me mm-hmm. for my mm-hmm. mom's sake. So that's scary. Telling my children was difficult. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a funny story because the woman that I talked to who um, actually encouraged me the most was a... She wasn't even a friend. She was an acquaintance, and she was 70 years old at the time, and Mm -hmm. she was in the newspaper for doing some yoga class, and she happened to mention in the newspaper interview that she had been bulimic and that all her life and that yoga had helped her overcome the bulimia. So, of course, the next day I called her and said, Joy, we need to talk, and I'm sure she knew what I was referring to. And she said a funny thing. She had, she also, like you, had four children. And she mm-hmm. said to me, have you told your children? And I said, no. And she said, well, you don't have to because I'm sure they know anyway. And I said, mm. trust me, my kids don't know. She said, yes, they do. What mm. do, you think? do you think? Do you think my kids knew or didn't know? What do you think? They, the, they knew. They did not know. Not one they of didn't. them. didn't. They had okay. no feeling. Now, in, in, in their defense, they're boys. So, I was going to say, are they all boys? They're all okay. boys. Okay. I, think that, okay. I, think, I think girls would definitely have picked it up. No question. I was going, yeah, I was going to say some of the most difficult conversations I've had with my daughters is them telling me about me. And they are always <laughs> spot on. And I'm thinking they didn't know or that I covered it up or whatever. And they did. Especially, and especially now they're adults, so it's really a waste of time, really a waste of time. And uh, definitely a sign of talk about stupidity to try to cover up things or hide things from them for their own good because I don't want them to worry or whatever. That's such a waste of time because now they're young women, uh, some with children of their own. Uh, and I finally came to that realization about that not too long ago that uh, my relationship with them has changed. I mean, I'll always be their mom, and we're close. I have four girls. I talk to them every day, uh, which, is a lot of co- which is a lot of conversations going back and right. forth. Right. Uh, but one of the things that I have learned from them uh, is that I have to now model for them what it would be like to be a parent of adult children because now they have little ones. And one of the things I've learned is I've gone from more of a parenting kind of thing of telling you what to do to more of a coach, you know, sharing with them my experiences, my wisdom or whatever, my opinions or whatever, and then letting it go, 
and and not be invested in the outcome uh, because at that age they make their own choices. And so when we had that really in-depth talk about how I'm transitioning into my parenting, that's when they also had the in-depth talk about how they were transitioning as my children and, you know, how we communicate. And so they had a heart-to-heart, and they're like, Mom. And so, you know, I got a chance to hear about my nail-biting and other other things <laughs> that, you know, I'm working on. And it was, you know, it was kind of humiliating, um, kind of hurtful in a way, but ultimately it was like exposing a part of me to the sunshine so I could continue to grow and continue to move on that journey to wellness. It was an important discussion. So something like what you did with your sons and with your mom and your, I'm sure your friends and your husband, that was, I would imagine it would be a huge part of your growth and healing. It, it was to a certain extent, but I think it was much more intense with my husband and my children because of the, you know, the amount of emotion between the, the husband-wife bond and the mother-child bond. But I came to the same conclusion that you did, Linus, is that I want to be, excuse me, I want to feel free to offer my advice and to share my wisdom. What you do with it is your issue or your your situation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and not own mm -hmm. it. And that's exactly what you just so eloquently said reflected my mindset. And you have to more than... You have to do more than just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk so that right. when you say something and that that suggestion, I don't want to call it criticism, because, but it can be, doesn't get implemented, you need to let it go. You can't, you can't be angry. It, it just, it's not productive. And you ha- even if you think it's wrong, you just can't do it. They have, to, they have to make their own mistakes and they have to be free to either accept Modify or reject what you're saying. So I've I've had that same journey, and I think it's I think the way that you said it was very eloquent. Thank you. It's it's, it's been a while to get me to that point because you see I was going to fix all of them, and I was I was going to have the answer to all the problems, and maybe fix isn't the right <laughs> word, but whatever the situation was, from you know hangnail to blown car engine to trying to close on a house, I was going to find a way to be involved in the help. And finally, I realized, wait a minute, they're adults. They have the same issues that I have now, and there's four of them. This is way too much. I've got to <laughs> define, you know, what I take on and how I take it on. And I think so much of moving into um, uh, midlife is all about uh, redefining. Uh, I hear a lot about transition, um, you know, a lot about transitioning to life, transitioning to midlife, and it is a transition, but it's also a process of redefining uh, how you see yourself and and um, how you want to go through the rest of your journey and the kinds of things you want to do with your life. Because I know the things I thought about that I wanted to do at 45 are very different in terms of what I'm thinking about doing at uh, 58. And uh, that's why I thought it was just so awesome when we got a chance to talk. And uh, you told me about your, you know, what it was you've been through. I just think it's wonderful uh, to be able to, uh, at a time when society says that we're supposed to have it all together, <laughs> to realize that there's still areas that we need to grow in and then to actually tackle it and work on making that change. I just really think it's awesome. Now, you said you have a series that's coming out. Tell us about that on the Huffington Post. Well, that that's an interesting series because I wanted to write about my bulimia, but I had a lot of reluctance about making it so public, but mm-hmm. I thought it would be 
a wonderful way to kind of get the conversation going. And this this was actually before I got that wonderful distinction of being, you know, one of the, the most well-read or whatever for, for 2015. So this is when I didn't even have that to go by. And I had a discussion with the editor, <clears throat> and I said, told her what I wanted to do. She loved the idea. And I said, but I want to do it anonymously. And she goes, that's not a problem. She said, because other, other people have done things anonymously. She said, don't worry about that. So I didn't worry about it. Well, then she came back to me and said, guess what? The policy is, unless you're in a domestic violence situation and you're writing about it, the policy is you cannot be anonymous. You have to own what you do. And, of course, she was totally right. Because if I wasn't going to own it, I had no right writing about it. And I, I had to get over, you know, that the fear of exposing myself to to everyone publicly. But the the issue with the series also is that I have children. Mm-hmm. Three of my sons share my last name. Two of them don't because they're from my first marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, they have families. I mean, it was it's not the most comfortable thing for me to be doing this, even though I'm doing mm-hmm. it. So I mm-hmm. you know, I want to make that clear. I'm I'm moving ahead, but I still have this knot in my stomach. But I just feel that the conversation needed to be ne- needed to be exposed for what it was. And people that have read the the nine part series, which is taken from the book that I wrote, that's in the final editing stages. People that have read that have said to me, "I had no idea." And I was like, "What do you mean you had no idea?" They said, "I had no idea you were bulimic, but I also had no idea about what." a bulimic actually goes through. They said, I never really thought about it, you know. So I think it's going to be eye-opening. I hope it's well-received, and I mm-hmm. hope it gets, you know, a, a fair amount of attention because I think it's something that needs to be addressed. And I've written it from a very conversational, I, I want to say almost whimsical way because mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. don't, you know, most of the most of the literature that comes out it's, it's so dark. It's so dark because people are hurting so badly, and mm-hmm. and they just don't know how to get out of that nightmare existence. So I write it in a little bit more of a conversational, lighter tone. So you know, we'll see. It's a, it's a risk, and you know, risks involve risk. <laughs> That's all. Well, yeah, but you know, I think it's a good risk, and I, I'm just so glad that you're on the show today because there are a lot of women who will listen to the show and they'll have their own aha moment in terms of things that, you know, they've kept hidden about themselves and they know they need to change. And there's a lot of fear. I, I know all about fear because one of my aha moments, and this is what brought me to this business, was I suffered from an anxiety disorder for years. I thought it was normal to wake up in the morning and feel like you're going straight downhill in a roller coaster with your arms <laughs> up. I thought everybody felt that way. And when I realized that it wasn't the case, um, then I began that long journey of finding out what it was I needed to do to get rid of that. And I can tell you now, I wouldn't say I'm totally anxiety-free, but I'm nowhere near what I used to be at all. And a lot of that started with that one step of after that aha moment that I want to make a change. And I know there are people out there listening to you right now that are having their aha moment. And it could be that they might have an eating disorder or something else. But I'm just so glad that you're on the show today and that you're sharing this because I really do think it's going to change someone's life out there. Well, I, and I, I appreciate that. I really do, Linus. But I want to make clear that the aha moment was just that. 
the real work began after that when I started looking for a treatment center where I could get help because mm. I, at that point, was ready to embrace the help. It wasn't, it wasn't that I hadn't thought of it before. I just wasn't ready. And getting, I went into an outpatient treatment program. And when I interviewed with a psychiatrist at this eating disorder center about an hour from my house, she said to me, you know, you've been bulimic for so long. I'm really reluctant to enroll you in our outpatient program. I think you should be an inpatient. And I looked at her and I said, I can't do that. I work full time. No one basically knows. I, I can't do that. You know, my husband knew, but, you know, my kids didn't know. My mom didn't know. My friends didn't know. Right. I said, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't do that. It, it scared the hell out of me. And I was very mm-hmm. fortunate to find someone who even against her better judgment, was willing to give the outpatient treatment program a try, even though she didn't think I was going to be successful at it. And I was in the treatment program for about three months, three days a week after work. And it gave me the impetus to to continue on a very well-balanced lifestyle. I, You know, I still had things I had to overcome and come to terms with, and the work always continues, but that... You can't do it without help. You can't. You. I mean, you, you just can't. Not not something that's as as consequential as an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. It would be. I think it's there's no, there's no simple cures. You have to look inward and and get some guidance. That's that's how I feel. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And it's really important that you put that disclaimer in there because I, too, had to get professional help when it came to uh, my anxiety disorder. There was a point where I, could, I first had to recognize that I had the problem. I guess that's what I'm saying, recognizing uh, that you have the problem and then making up your mind that you want to do something when it comes to getting better makes a huge difference in terms of moving yes. forward along yeah. the journey. Um, I want to make sure that people know how to um, view your blog and um, how to find you on the Internet. What's the best way? Well, right now, because the blog hasn't come out, the blog series mm-hmm. hasn't come out, I don't have a direct link. But what mm-hmm. the easiest way to find me is to go to Huffington Post, just Google Huffington Post and type in my name, which is Iris Ruth Pastor, P-A-S-T-O-R. And then you'll, my bio will come up and everything I've written thus far on Huffington Post will come up. So that's probably the easiest way. And I also have a website, irisruthpastor.com, which will give additional information on you know, the topics that I speak on and different things that I'm involved with. But, so it's really my website. It's, I also have a weekly newsletter, and not everything that goes into the newsletter makes it to Huffington Post. So sometimes there's a crossover. Sometimes there's a lot more tidbits than just what's in the Huffington Post blog. But I would say those are the two ways, irisruthpantry.com and Huffington mm-hmm. Post with my name. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Iris, for being on the wellness journey today. I really enjoyed talking with you, and I wish you luck on the series. It sounds like it's going to be fantastic. Thank you, Linus. You you have been wonderful. You let you let me talk. You let me explain myself. <laughs> you came back with deep, probing questions, and you have such an engaging manner. It was my pleasure. Oh, thank you, and thank you to all of the listeners out there who have. 
Isn't that a fantastic interview? If you're just joining me right now, you've got to go back and listen to this interview. And I would say share this um, interview with others that you know that have some kind of health issue or behavioral problem, whatever, that they know they have it, but they haven't done anything to get help with it. 46 years, you would think, oh, my gosh, that's too late. You can't change. But I do believe that you can uh, change. As they say, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like, you know that thing. Well, that's not true. I believe that you can teach an old dog new tricks as long as the dog shows up. <laughs> the dog has to show up, you know. And in this case, not that I'm comparing, I was the pastor and for the dog. In fact, she's a very lovely woman. But in this particular case, she showed up. She decided that she was going to get the help that she needed to be able to change that behavior. And I salute her uh, for that courage. 46 years is a long time, but it's never too late. Her testimony, her interview, her blog series that she's doing on Huffington Post is a testament to the fact that we can all make changes. It's never too late. For those of you out there who want to lose weight, who uh, want to change their lifestyle to a more holistic one, who want to start biting their fingernails like me, <laughs> things like that that you know you need to change. You can do it. So I hope you enjoyed the interview. Please share it with this friend, with your family members. It's a wonderful interview. And thanks for coming back to Blog Talk and listening to me on Blog Talk and iTunes, as I said before. Every Saturday morning a new show goes up. I'll be coming on live, chatting with you, talking about the things that are important to me and I hope important to you when it comes to wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. And remember, check out my website, uh, praiseworks.biz. Click on the link and subscribe to my new magazine. The new issue is coming out any day now. And for those of you who might listen to this program a year from now, the issues will still be there. Go to praiseworks.biz to see the issues. And also click on that link to subscribe to Wellness Woman uh, magazine. And when you get to my site, Follow me on my social media. It's all there on my site. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook. I'm on Instagram now. Uh, check out my YouTube channel. There's a lot of tips on my YouTube channel also. And go to my blog. Click on the big B there. I usually post about once every other week about things that will help you uh, maintain wellness for your mind, body, and spirit. This is Linus Woods-Mullins from Praise Works Health and Wellness and Wellness Woman 40 and Beyond e-magazine. We'll see you again next time. Thank you for joining us on the Wellness Journey Live with Lennis Woods Mullins. We hope you have enjoyed our show and look forward to the opportunity to share with you more information that will help you along your journey to total wellness for the mind, body, and spirits.